Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And there's a lot of movement going on in the world around us. Movements of oneness, of unity consciousness, unity consciousness are afoot in nearly every arena from the protests in the street to the emergence of a new science and technology. We're witnessing how a whole worldview shifts our experience of healthcare, education, economics, governance, and nearly every sector of life. As our understanding of the true nature of reality evolves, so does our relationship with everything and everyone. So how does unity consciousness and our evolving worldview shift how we experience religion and spirituality? We are going to explore this, and it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I'm looking forward to this, so I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, Dr. Kurt Johnson has worked in professional science and comparative religions for over 40 years, a prominent figure on international committees, particularly at the United Nations. He is author of over 200 scientific articles and seven books, including The Coming Interspiritual Age. I have that in my hand right now, and you're going to be fascinated with what is coming out on this interspiritual age. Kurt has a PhD in evolution and ecology and has served on the faculty of New York's Interfaith Seminary for 12 years. He is host for Unity Earth's Convergence radio series at Voice America, a series featuring global changemakers, and also an editor of Unity Earth's two magazines, The Convergence and Light on Light. And there's so much more to his bio. I encourage you to check it out on the links that are attached to this show. Welcome, Kurt. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. It is great to have you here. And Kurt, it is more fun to just sit and chat with you in person and listen to you on stage and in real voice. And yet, I'm really looking forward to our conversation here today. Even though I can't see you, I feel your presence as a fellow evolutionary and your your brilliance, your genius is always shining bright. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. And Kurt, as you know, you've been on my show before. I have a traditional first question and it always evolves even when I have guests back more than once. So I'm looking forward to your response to what does all things connected mean to you? <laughs> well, you know, uh, we always think that we know how interconnected everything is in our experience and in our consciousness. And then we're always surprised that it keeps cascading to more and more and more. So I know one great spiritual teacher said that, you know, awakening never changes from the time 
you first experience it, but it becomes infinitely more refined. And mm-hmm. I think it's the same with our experience of oneness and interconnectedness. It, it continues to enhance. And for me, a part of that is all the amazing people that I get to meet. I mean, you and I've done some things together now and had some real time with uh, a lot of other people. And there are just so many inspiring people on the planet now that uh, that's certainly what keeps me going. Mm. Well, you're bringing up all these amazing people. And um, so I just want to acknowledge you for you're an amazing advocate for unity and unity consciousness. And you're this very skilled and proficient weaver and connector of resources and people and organizations. And so as I acknowledge that, I'm really curious before we dig into this conversation about um, the interspiritual age and also how we personally can live in an interspiritual way and, and really amplify it on the planet. I'm curious what, makes Kurt Johnson, Kurt Johnson. What is your story and how did you become this really amazing light on the planet? Like I said, this proficient weaver and connector and um, advocate of unity consciousness. What's your story, Kurt? Well, it's interesting. I I think, uh, I guess I had the, the situation of always being good at a lot of different things, even when I went to undergraduate school and then on into graduate school, I always had to decide between science and literature and music and uh, math. And, you know, so from the time that I've been on the planet, I, I just for some reason was, was good at a lot of different things and also absolutely fascinated uh, and curious about so many things. Now, in the time that was a bit less holistic, let's say like the 60s or 70s, Sometimes that didn't make sense. In fact, there was actually a time before the Internet where people thought that the Kurt Johnson that does all the science and the Kurt Johnson that does all the comparative religion were actually two different people. And it wasn't until Wikipedia came (laughs) out that people started to realize, wow, same person. But, you know, I think that was a setup not only for me, but a lot of other people as the world's gone more integrated and holistic to make sense of everything that we had – a piece of the pie of, and that that was actually serving this sense of unity and this sense of going from I to we. So I I have found that as time went along, all those different skill sets then started to complement each other. And I think that last part that I said really kind of frames that. You know, I started out, I'll say really briefly, started out in in monasticism while I was also getting my graduate degrees and then into transtraditional spirituality, which caused the order that I was in to ask me to leave, which was actually silver lining on the cloud, because then I met everyone else who was doing interfaith and interspirituality, and that freed me up to take the position that I was eventually in at the American Museum of Natural History for 25 years. So it was always enhancing these different skill sets by opportunity by opportunity. And then the last part then is like what all of us realize is that that on a global level, we're moving from, you know, what they say, from I to we. And that happens first in awareness, but then it happens second in skill sets. And I think that's what addresses the comments that you just made. Any of us who are kind of really stuck with this uh, mandate to work in this transition from I to we and toward cooperation and co-branding and away from rivalism to cooperation and altruism and, and real 
harmonious alchemical relationships. That's an emerging phenomenon. So those of us who are a part of it, and, and yourself included, we're learning as we go. And then what's great is we're discovering, you know, all of these modalities which allow cooperation to work. And that's great because it's like being and becoming. You have the, you have the sense that this should be true, and then when you see it coming true, then that's, you know, extremely fulfilling. So I think that's kind of what it's all about. Mm. So setting this stage, I, I really appreciate you, you know, just referencing this emerging phenomenon because as we set the stage for this conversation about where religion and spirituality is going, we have some real life examples of literally, like you're talking about, of, of how do we co-create together? How do we, um, you used a word that that's not used a lot in my circles is the co-branding. It's like really bringing individuals and organizations together um, who are completely autonomous and remain completely autonomous, independent, unique, diverse, and yet we're blending into a greater um, shared purpose. And so I, I, I really want to presence this because one of our mutual dear friends, Jude Curvin, also always talks about unity in diversity, that um, it is a new skill set of creating unity and yet really maintaining the fullest expression of our diversity together as one. So we, do you want to speak into that, the unity and diversity and really what we're talking about with unity consciousness here? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, just in our basic human experience, everybody think about, you know, when you were happy when you were single, and then you were happy when you were married, and you were happy then when that became a family. And so you're actually going from a single sense of agency to a multiple sense of agency. And it's hard to compare, you know, where you were happier. That's that's kind of what's interesting. So it's the same thing. You know, the world's going global and it's going multicultural, and that's inevitable. So we're called to this co-straddling of all these different things at the same time because that's the way uh, the world is going. And, for instance, recently I was just in a meeting with uh, Marianne Williamson about her presidential run. And one thing she said, which I think all of us can identify with, is what she said, you know, we, we've all gotten tired of even the competition within our own transformative and spiritual communities, that this habit of just being about your brand or your event or your message or your book was very ingrained in us in very subtle ways. And now, as she said, it's kind of being outed and people are starting to prefer and enjoy more the we than when they were doing things, you know, much more individually or much more siloed. Now, to me, that's interesting because I think that just... Um, you know, reflects a change in consciousness. Like, just like I said, from when you're happy when you're single, but then when you're a family person, you're also happy. And it's, it's in a different way and in a different context. So, you know, so we're moving toward a situation of multiple agency, multiple volition. And I think we're surprised when we're actually find more fulfillment by cooperating, co-branding, co-creating than when we were all just into it, let's say from our own ego or from our own, um, you know, self-satisfaction. So I just find that interesting. And I, I would imagine, especially talking to my anthropologist friends, that that's a direction the species is going, that we're, we're going from, you know, a siloed, tribal, clan-related, patriarchal, all of that stuff, war, 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 
to trying to get to a place where we could have a healthy global civilization that's more like an ecosystem. If you look at ecosystems, all the communities in an ecosystem do very different things. They don't get along because they do the same thing. They do very different things. But they're organized in an organismic way, just like our bodies, where the kidneys don't do what the brain is, and the toe doesn't do what the fingers do, but it all works together. And that seems like a no-brainer, but yet, on the other hand, it's something that our species is learning little by little. And I think the, the bigger question, and I'm just throwing this in from the UN point of view, is that will our learning process be incremental, where we educate ourselves into a healthy globalization, or will we have to have a catastrophe to get us there. I was actually watching a program on Nat Geo last night, which was really asking that question. Can, can we learn our way into multi multiculturalism and globalization, or are we going to have to have some kind of a catastrophe that forces us to change the, um, you know, that sense of me, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. So what would be some of the tenets of learning our way in? Because I think this is, I just want to pause there before we get deeper, um, because that is a really important piece of, of really, what would that look like to learn it? I think we're all practicing it. And then there are those, I'm going to speak from um, this global perspective too, of, of watching, there are many who aren't even aware that this is an invitation for us at this time on the planet you know they're just going about life the way they always have in the me 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 realm so how do we learn this new way of being yeah well i think what's happening is that we're moving from a siloed worldviews about ourselves to a global worldview about ourselves that's based on basic fundamental principles that all of those silos had, whether it be mm. all of the religious traditions or all of the scientific and philosophical traditions, that there are basic principles, not only at the level of ideas about, but also the actions that those imply. So for instance, there's a statement that's you know been out for about 10 years, but it's just becoming much more important now. It's called Nine Points of Agreement Among the World's Religions. Uh, which was put together by uh, Father Thomas Keating and the Dalai Lama, all of these luminaries that were meeting for years and years. And they could actually discern nine points of agreement about just our sense of reality that are in all the traditions and in all of the philosophies. And then what's interesting about that is that it didn't take long for that to move from ideas about nine points of agreement to the actions implied. So then there was the emergence of what's called uh, the nine elements of the universal spirituality, which ask, um, okay, if we all agree on these nine points, then what would that mean relative to how we would behave? Now, that's interesting because, as David Sloan Wilson has pointed out in his new book on cultural evolution, that the way evolution moves is from proximate cause to ultimate cause. In other words, it moves from ideas about to the actions that are then implied and then once those actions are a part of uh, a larger environment, that's actually what, with what science calls natural selection. An environment says yes or no. Natural selection actually either decides, well, your actions work or they don't work. And it's interesting that there's many parts of our lives, we don't think of it in this way, where actually you know, we throw out a plan, be it financial, be it for our vacation, be it for where we want to go with good of the whole or whatever, 
And then we see how that plays in the larger game. And that environment is telling us yes and no, this works, this doesn't work, this is a success, this isn't a success. And that's actually how natural selection works. So without us really knowing, I find this fascinating, anthropologically we're moving toward um, this sense of, of basic fundamental principles about reality and also how we behave. So just give you an interesting example. You were at the um, uh, pre-event that we did for the Parliament of World Religions, and we have a book that's coming out about that, and there were like 70 contributors, you know, people like you and me and all these other thought leaders who are out there, whatever we call ourselves. And what I found fascinating as I edited that book is that instead of people referring to just their tradition or just their beliefs or their end-time scenarios or that from their tradition, everybody in this book was boiling things down to common principles across all of the traditions that they had experienced. Now, I don't think that would have happened five or ten years ago. Hmm. People would have been speaking pretty much just from their silo. But I just found it fascinating that because you see, when you think globally, then then you're actually, in a sense, thinking as a family. So everybody on the call, like if you're a family person now and you think back to how you made decisions when you were single, to how you make decisions now as a family, it's different because there's multiple points of agency. And obviously, as we're you know coming into a globalized, multicultural world, if we don't get good at that, well, what's the result going to be? It's going to be competition, which escalates to conflict, and conflict can escalate to violence. And that's been the whole history that our species is trying to, you know, get past. So, you know, it's just it's interesting how, whether we like it or not, the, the tide of evolution is taking us in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll just make one other quick comment, is that it's so common in biological evolution that catastrophe is needed in order to pro- promote change. Now, that's kind of scary because it's so common. Like if you look at the, the you know, the seven or eight or whatever the number of great extinctions has been, um, catastrophes had to be a part of it. So, But it's interesting if you think of conscious evolution, then you think, well, maybe we can avoid catastrophe having to intervene because we're a conscious being, we're so supposedly a thinking species and we could see our way past the need to get kicked in the butt, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Our friend Barbara Marks Hubbard says, evolution by choice, not by chance. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. we're at this place on the planet. Okay, so Kurt, you've been, this is fascinating. You've been working in the interfaith world for decades. You've, you know, you have been you are so much more than the scientist person that you mentioned you are multi-talented in so many ways but looking back at the the interfaith conversation and moving toward the interspiritual conversation tell us what's new and exciting with religion and where are our growth areas yet so maybe we better begin by just even defining the interspiritual era, the interspiritual age that you're talking about. And then I'd love to see where are we at and where are we going and what do we have left yet to do? Yeah, no, very interesting. Yeah, I think, see, if everybody kind of looks back, particularly when today's globalized civilization emerged after World War II, sometimes we don't remember back to the era before the UN, before global treaties, before 
global institutions, which we're so used to now. But before World War II, those, those didn't exist. Everybody was siloed. And then all the silos had this world war. And after they beat up on each other and, you know, what, 90 million people died, whoever it was, then the, the world emerged and said, hey, there's got to be, you know, a better way to do this. And, of course, like Hans Kung said at the founding of the U.N., there can be no peace among the nations until there's peace among the religions. We suddenly realized that these very different worldviews, which were all the religions, of which there are many, but five major axial ones, which are called axial because whole cultures operate around their worldviews, they had to move into this period of realizing it was important that they understand each other, or at least that they're dialoguing and they're tolerating. And they're, and so that was what interfaith was. Interfaith was actually in the head. It was, you know, you're different from me, but I want to understand you. I'd rather live in peace than be at war. So let's dialogue and let's learn about each other. And that was a phenomenon actually more in the head. So it's easy to understand what inner spirituality is. And that is that, you know, as any of us go deeper in our own spiritual practice. And the result of that is our sense of interconnection and our sense that we're not separate and that there's no other and that we're all a part of this grand, profound interconnection. It moves then out of the head and into the heart where you realize that those boundaries really are mental and they're really based on ideas. So out of the interfaith movement then, as a part of what was going on globally as an emerging holistic era and emerging integral era and all of this, Suddenly then people started to realize if you go to the heart, where there really aren't any boundaries, just love is love, then you're at a level where religious people of all kinds and spiritual people of all kinds can not only just get along and understand each other, but they can actually find this, this, this deeper chemistry, which is, which is actually there simply because of who we all are as human beings. So actually then what, when Wayne Teasdale defined inner spirituality and also named the inner spiritual age, he was actually saying the task of religions, and this is also what Ken Wilber says in Moving Up the Developmental Ladder, that the task of the religions is to move from, you know, just getting along and understanding each other in the head to moving to this deeper place in the heart where we're actually going toward an idea of a human civilization all on one little planet with this very little thin layer of atmosphere that protects us from everything else and and blah 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 and that that was the work he said of the of the inner spiritual age that if you actually look at it anthropologically in the sense of homo sapiens it would be homo sapiens getting more out of the head and more into the heart which would be the only place that we could imagine i think a world civilization that would work where it's not parsed out based on disagreeing ideas but it's brought together in that holism of the heart, which again is what Jude calls the whole worldview, or there's you know many other things about it. So that that's it's. But here's what's interesting: it's not only the task; it's actually what's happening anyway. In other words, uh, if evolution and and you know the current understanding of evolution is that we we move from competition to cooperation. So if we're moving toward cooperation anyway, then the religions would have to be a part of that. I mean, when David Sloan Wilson first read my book, which you have in your hand and, you know, we're talking about, um, he got in touch and he said, wow, he said, if the modern understanding of evolution is correct, of from um, individual selection to group and multi-level selection, we're moving from competition to cooperation, there would have to be this movement called interspirituality coming out of interfaith 
which would all be about how do we more deeply, deeply, deeply cooperate. So, you know, it's almost as if, you know, we think we're making it happen, but actually it's a part of what's evolving anyway. And matter than, you know, if we're on the surfboard, whether we're really on the, on the top of the wave. So. Mm, I, I appreciate the reminder because we often talk about the impulse of evolution expressing itself through us. This impulse of creation is creating through us, with us, for us, you know, and, and so often we get wrapped up in how do we make it happen? And so I'm really glad you presence this because, um, the how we make it happen goes brings us back into our head again, right? It's like we're all in our silos, we're all in our expertise, and we're all ready and just geared up to make things happen. And um, the invitation is the opposite of to come back into that heart, come back into those the points of agreement, come back into those elements of the universal that are flowing through us. And when we get back into that flow, um, it kind of weaves itself quite eloquently, I would say. Yeah, no, it's sometimes interesting. I know I asked myself many, many times, you know, how much is everything that we're doing something that we're doing as opposed to something that's actually just unfolding and becoming more and more self-evident. I mean, I, every, it's interesting now, I would say five years ago when I used to go around, it's five years since I wrote this book, which is really a sequel to Wayne Teasdale's original book. And back then you'd have to tell people what this idea was about. And now you don't. I mean, everybody, I'm always doing it. Everybody kind of starts or we used to leave off like five years ago because the same things weren't self-evident five years ago. Mm. And so I think a lot of things are becoming self-evident, not only about unity, but it's interesting now if you look at all of this crazy stuff that's going around about the Trump administration and now all the corruption and it's scandal after scandal and not only investigation, but then conviction after conviction. And, you know, they just shut down the Trump charities today saying they were all breaking the law and, you know, they postponed the sentencing for Flynn because the judge could see the parts that we can't see that are redacted. And he said it's far more serious than anybody realizes and, and, and blah, blah, blah. So we're not only sensing what we like, but we're sensing what we don't like. And that's really, I think, important. I think we can all, almost, in a sense, in a funny way, be thankful for this crazy era because it's spotlighting at least if, if we're sane and intact, to quote Allen Ginsberg, what we really shouldn't like, and we really shouldn't like that which is so working against unity and caring and kindness and compassion. Um, so, you know, all of these things are a very interesting mix in the, in the march of history. Oh, indeed, indeed. You know, this, this is a really... Um important piece of this conversation. So I want to expand on this after the break, because I think there are those listening out there going, well, what is interspiritual? How can I live more interspiritual and really look at all of this breakdown in the world in a, a more positive light so that I can reclaim that agency that you're talking about? So we're going to go there after the break, we're also going to talk about how you can get involved in really expanding, expanding the unity consciousness on the planet because Kurt has some practical down-to-earth ways that we can all get on this 
bandwagon or caravan if we want to. And so we are going to take a quick break. We're here with Kurt Johnson, author of The Coming Interspiritual Age. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. This is you over 30 years ago. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And this is your mom when you drive her back from therapy. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Roles change without us noticing. And in your new role, we help you help. AARP gives you the information to help care for your mom so that you can have patience with her just like she did with you. Visit aarp.org caregiving or call one 877 333-5885 to get practical health and wellness tips to provide even better care for your loved one. Are we there yet? Remember, visit aarp.org caregiving. AARP, we help you help. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency. And 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Empower your life. Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others. Please do that. Just click the share button if you're looking at this on social media. Also, listen to it again, and you can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected with us all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Dr. Kurt Johnson, 
prolific author, and most recently, the coming of in, the coming interspiritual age. You can find Kurt at interspirituality.com and also unity. Earth. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, unity.earth. And also that first one was interspirituality.com. Kurt, welcome back to the second half. And I'm looking forward to wherever this conversation wants to go. Right before the break, you were mentioning really about um, real life events that are really shaking us from the foundation. And we're looking at everything with new eyes. We have to. And so with this evolution of consciousness and moving toward unity consciousness, as we're looking at all of these um, old motivations of, of ego and self and competition, and, you know, we're looking at all of these old ways that just no longer work anymore. Um, we have to put real legs under this conversation. We have to put really real legs under where do we agree? I love that you brought up the nine points of agreements and then the, the nine implied actions um, when we're talking about world religions. So how do we get from here to there? And let's, let's just talk about that for a minute of how can our listeners really rest in the new growth, in this new conversation, in this new way of being, what does that really look like? And then we can move into Unity Earth and what you're doing there. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that uh, I think probably everybody who's on the call, obviously most of you have some uh, affiliation with some community or group that is fulfilling to you relative to how you're playing out your uh, sense of belonging and your sense of contributing and your your sense of uh, you know co-creating, and those are usually um, you know local by nature or regional because that's you know kind of where we all live. We all live someplace. We all have different zip codes. But what's happening is that at a global level, all these different groups who had really built up a lot of activities and a lot of uh, visioning beyond just the local and regional level, we started hooking up about two to three years ago, asking, well, if all of us have built all of these things, what, what is it that we could do together? So it's interesting now that, because you mentioned interspirituality.com, interspirituality.com is kind of in an interesting pause now, because we're like, I think, what, 15 years in now to when Wayne wrote his book and when he passed away in 2005, and everyone started to really understand this, that now we're actually moving interspirituality.com over to becoming a part of uh, unity.earth simply as a part of this transition from kind of the more local and regional to, to the global. So what happened is is that we're not the only ones doing this. So, uh, this is kind of happening natural everywhere, is that groups of groups or networks of networks are emerging now where we're clustering up. Interesting, because clustering is how the entire all the galaxies and the solar system and all of that have evolved from clustering up. And that's exactly how all life has evolved, from single-celled organisms to colonies and then to multi-level organisms. So we're actually clustering up. And so people now can go you know, to a site like www.unity.earth. And, and instead of thinking that that's something that some people cooked up and they're trying to like recruit you into, no, actually what's happening, it's been a joining process, kind of like an ecosystem where the groups have come together and they're asking, okay, what can we offer now that's richer and more dynamic and 
affects the global conversation for good, you know, even more. So uh, I think, you know, for people out there who are curious about at least what our network of network is doing, among others, because there are others like Shift that we work with closely and many that are our partners at Unity Earth, um, if you just uh, actually enroll there as a community member in Unity Earth community, that will help us keep you informed uh, if you hit the events and programs drop-down menu, you'll see all these programs all around the world, that this bigger we, this bigger we is actually, uh, you know, pulling together by, by, this, by cooperation. So that's, uh, it's interesting that we're moving now toward uh, more and more interconnected and um, um, uh, interconnected global events. That's what's called the Road to 2020 there at uh, unity.earth and the Caravan of Unity, where uh, people, by becoming a part of what we're doing at Unity Earth, then are, can be a part of something that, that's bigger, that's, that's multiple agencies instead of just uh, one or, or, two, uh, or two or three. So that's kind of what the opportunity that Julie was pointing toward, is that as we build networks of networks, so we've got more friends and we've got more players on the field, then, um, then it really becomes a different ballgame, and that's, that's, that's exciting. It is exciting. So just speaking of Road to 2020, I want to like just really presence what that is because we're looking at the Road to 2020. What does that mean? And just as you talked about those nine points of agreements, like what is what is our common core? What are the common shared values? What is our common shared vision and mission? We also know as we're moving toward this globalized, multicultural world that music is this universal language. So I think how you've crafted the Road to 2020 with different series of events um, is really genius when we're looking at taking some of our um, commonality and bringing it together, but using music to really gather us and celebrate together. So tell us a little more about what is the road to 2020 and um, why 2020 and what does that really mean? Yeah, well, it's interesting that all of us are asking, and by, and by all I mean everyone actually listening to the broad, this broadcast as well, how do we change the global conversation and the global perspective from lots of bad stuff to more good stuff? How do we really change the global worldview and therefore what affects cultures and politics and economics toward things that are about unity and about caring, about compassion, and about mutuality, instead of about separateness and, and selfishness and, and blah, blah, blah. So we want to affect that conversation. I think that's what everybody who's even listening to this call would, wants to see. They want to see the global landscape change for the better. So then we're saying that's the point then of doing events is that you gather um, all of the people who are interested in that and you try to build that energy in a way that impacts the larger uh, understanding of the world through the media and through personal experience. So actually, we, we do events because they create a direct experience. And probably everybody knows that one of the deepest ways of a direct experience of caring and love and peace and okayness and harmony and happiness comes from uh, music and also from music and, and movement. And this is just a natural thing. It's amazing. You go clear back to where primitive humans were, you know, building their fires and dancing around with their drums and whatever other instruments they had. There's something 
about the rhythms of music, how it affects the emotions, the message of the lyrics, the, the music itself, that that has this transformative uh, you know, kind of experience. Sometimes we don't even think that uh, everywhere we go, at houses or hospitals, there are pictures on the wall, and there are pictures of usually landscapes. You know, why do we do that? Why do we have pictures of mountains and oceans and other people on our walls? And the, the answer is that we want to constantly be reminded of the things in life that actually give us nurturing and give us uh, this, you know, this experience of feeling good and whole. So actually then uh, the events we do then bring people together in that way where you go into the, not only just the magic of the music itself, but think about how is the music made? The music is made by a team that's playing different instruments, then they're playing those different instruments in harmony or different voices in harmony. And again, it's the blending of that and the ecosystemine of that that creates this bigger experience. So that creates a direct experience of what's possible for this artistic feeling about everything. And then we balance that with a larger narrative, which we're building through publications and you know radio shows like yours and like ours and our magazines too, get a narrative out there that goes beyond just that event and just that direct experience and ask, you know, how can this be, um, a, you know, how can it go from what Wilbur calls a state experience, which is just now when I went to the event, to uh, a permanent trait? How can we be more like this all the time? You know, how can we be happier all the time, more fulfilled all the, all the time? So we're just, we're trying to build those together now. The, the way that we ended up calling that the road to 2020 was is that there were so many groups around the world, and I think a lot of people listening can think of their own groups, that was thinking that by 2020 or by 2025 or by 2030, we'd really like to change the global conversation, irrespective that there's also a huge election in 2020 where you'd have to ask, are, are we going to be voting from separation and hating each other, or are we going to be voting from... Uh, you know, for or about people who are really about harmony and, and, you know, the mutual self-care of everyone. So this kind of just happened as a part of this emerging sense of celebrating what human beings can be instead of just settling for the kind of the mess that we've, we've all been kind of putting up with. So that's kind of how it evolved and also kind of why it's balanced between events, which are direct experience, and then a larger narrative about that, which hopes to sustain that as a part of who we are, you know, globally. It's brilliant. Thank you. The The direct experience piece is so vital that we experience ourselves in that place of unity consciousness, that really something is... Um, enlivened inside of us when we experience unity in that way not just this blissful moment of oneness that we might have by ourselves but coming together in this place of a shared direct experience is so powerful so so thank you thank you thank unity earth um, it's a wonderful opportunity and and our listeners you're right many of them are um brilliant evolutionaries themselves and they can find out so much more on the website so so kurt so wrapping this back up into the perspective then of of the coming interspiritual age of, of where we're at now with religion you had mentioned that literally 
um, world peace. We've we've worked on the nations. We've worked with United Nations, and it's important for the religions to get along. So I want to circle back to what is interspiritual and this interspiritual movement because the conversation isn't um, a merging of religions or a um, losing the individual expression of different religions like you write about. It's much like what you had said with the family example that we're single and then we're married and in in marriage all of a sudden we're in a different kind of relationship with the whole world around us because of that union and then we have children and our decision making and everything about us changes so what does this mean moving forward when we're looking at religion and the there, there are many, many, many hundreds of world religions, but we've talked about, you know, the fine or the five axial religions you've talked about. I mean, there are others out there who have said, I'm done with religion, can't do it. We've got a lot of metaph- metaphysical people out there. We've got people who say I'm spiritual, not religious. But yet we have a lot of listeners who may be very grounded in a faith tradition. So what does this mean for our future? What's the vision? What what vision do you hold for world religions and 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 what does that look like moving into the coming interspiritual age? You know, I think it's best understood if we see it in this context of a grand journey globally, more out of the head and into the heart. If you're in your head, and that's just natural because the head, the, the brain is a parsing mechanism. That's what it's for. That's its job is to Mm -hmm. distinguish one thing from another. But if that becomes the driver of saying, I agree with this, I disagree with that, I choose this, I don't choose that, there's no room for this, you're not welcome here, that, the parsing mechanism, you know, is a great tool but not a good boss. Now, if you go back down to the heart, where the heart then has room for everything because it can welcome this music, that music, this worldview, that worldview, this food, that food, this type of clothing, that type of clothing. When you're in your heart and you're celebrating diversity, just like if you go to a botanical garden, it's not just all tulips. It's got like a thousand different flowers, and it certainly wouldn't be as, as beautiful and enjoyable if it was just all tulips. You, you start to realize that you know th- this is just a fundamental Thing about how we experience the togetherness of everything as opposed to the differences in everything. So, you know, that, that's an evolving situation, you know, globally, and we're moving more toward uh, not only the sense that harmony gives us more of this deeper understanding and chemistry about everything, but it has to drive there or the alternatives in a globalizing world with, let's say, 9 billion people coming out and a stress on the ecosystem, that, you know, would, would just not work. So what's interesting then is that uh, religion actually, religion and spirituality are kind of odd bedfellows in the sense that if you think about it, religion is what spiritual people do together. And then if they decide that they're going to emphasize one way of doing things together over another, which then becomes creeds and dogmas and, and, and things that separate, then suddenly religion becomes antithetical to spirituality. And, of course, that's where the present 70% of youth and 
the whole spiritual but not religious, people were saying, look, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to fall into the pathologies of what can happen with religion, where I have to choose this over that, or I say this is welcome, but this isn't welcome, and I'm aligned with this creed, but not with this one, and therefore socially I'm against you, and therefore we may fight. So I don't think we'll ever completely separate religion and spirituality, since you could say that religion is what spiritual people decide to do together. But we have to be so careful that the religious part of it doesn't become so dogmatic in the sense of choosing this over that, that we're no longer actually spiritual. I mean, it's bizarre Mm -hmm. if you look at what's been done in the name of religion that was just completely antithetical to uh, spirituality, like the Inquisition or Jihad or, you know, things which just make no sense. It's like Ken Wilber says that it's odd that the most wonderful things in the world have come out of religion, but also the most horrible things in the world have come out of religion. And when you ask why, it's the answer simple. Were you doing religion or were you doing spirituality? If you were doing spirituality, the inquisitor or the person who's cutting off someone else's head would suddenly realize, hey, what's wrong with this picture? You know, I'm yeah. professing love and all of this, and yet I'm cutting somebody's head off. So that's what happens. That's that crazy downside of what happens with when spirituality goes too much toward religion. So I think in the future, religions will actually, in a healthier way, be more about what do spiritual people decide to do together. And I think everybody listening to this call, if you belong to a group that's fulfilling to you and that's worth coming back regularly, which you do, it's because that what they've decided to do together, which would be the religious side of their spirituality, what they sing, where they go, what they do, those are all more religious decisions uh, at a community level. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's what works for you. And I think we could imagine a world where, uh, kind of like the leader Llewellyn Von Lee says, that if we're in a, in, a, in a huge valley, and the valley is our spiritual nature that we all share, in that valley uh, could be room for every tent, every color, every song, every worldview, every story, every narrative, and it could all be celebrated and enjoyed together without this choosing of this, not that. So it's actually mm-hmm. many of you that are familiar with um, you know, Eastern religions and the phenomenon of awakening of, of where it says you go from not this and that, but not this. You go from, from that to not this and not that, <laughs> where you're not distinguishing anymore because everything is welcome. And, that, and that's actually where the heart ends up. And that's the height of, if you go, if you drill the deepest in any tradition, any tradition, you, you end up discovering interconnectedness. And Beautiful. yeah, you may have visions and you may, you know, see ascended masters and you may see deities and you may have these experiences. But like Jesus said, that's empty if there's no love there. That's just a gong and a symbol. Like he said, it's a special effects as opposed to the real message, which is about love. So... I think that that's so inner spirituality is not about um, joining in that in that other way where it's not about uniformity. It's about unity, but not uniformity. So interesting paradox. So you're talking about making room for and uh, several things that you said reminded me to just presence this. And we have just about three minutes to do that. Um, But what I wanted to presence then was this. Um, coming into our heart, making room, 
in, in this new way of being also makes room for mysticism, also makes room for the divine feminine, which both of those things have been kind of crowded out or secluded or in the closet. So in three minutes-ish, can you speak <laughs> about, hopefully, a little bit about both of those, but whatever yeah. we can bring forward in, in this remaining few minutes here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So like, again, Wayne Teasdale, founder of Inner Spirituality, said, we're all mystics. We, we are all immersed. We all are a part of the quantum field anyway. We're a part of a shared field. So the idea of how we explore that in the heart with beauty and with music and with just everything that we just experience in consciousness itself, we, we are all mystics. And so we invite, everyone should invite themselves, go deep, go deep, go deep, and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And then on the second part of that, you know, we're, we are an, an amazing blend of the masculine and the feminine. Those are typologies that we've laid on, you know, we've cooked up those words because they refer to, you know, kind of complementary or somewhat different ways of being. You know, in, the, in Vedanta, they say, you know, the female leans in, you know, it wants to have that, that intimacy, that sense of every detail. The masculine leans back. It want to see the bigger picture and how everything fits together. And it's actually the same being that's leaning in and leaning back. So we all have this complementarity in all of us in different ways of our masculine and our feminine. And just historically, an artifact of history has been that the, the feminine side has not been as deeply explored as, as, as consciousness demands and certainly where evolution is going is, you know, to that deeper place, to that tenderer place, that which is about nesting and pulling together and nurturing, you know. So explore that as well. So I'd say explore how we're all mystics and explore how we're all an amazing amalgam of what's called masculinity and femininity. Beautiful. Kurt, I appreciate you being on this planet, leading this cause of unity consciousness, expanding and working. I appreciate your words. I appreciate so much about all your work. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your genius. No, absolutely. Great to be here. And so good to have done some things with you in person recently. Yeah. It's been great. And more to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be building a coalition state by state, region by region around the road to 2020. So if you stay in touch with Julie, stay in touch with us. We don't know how this bird's going to land, but we think so. A lot of big birds are going to land between now and the next 10 years. So maybe you can all be a part of uh, helping us land those. Oh, great invitation. So, yes, absolutely. Stay in touch, listeners, and follow the links. You can learn how you can get involved as well. I'm going to leave you with some of Kurt's words today. So, again, thank you, Kurt, for joining us. And here is a definition of inner spirituality. Inner spirituality is the natural discussion among human beings about what we are experiencing. In academic terms, it's the intersubjective discussion among us about who we are, why we are here, and where we're going. In the context of religion, inner spirituality is the common heritage of humankind's spiritual wisdom and the sharings of wisdom resources across traditions. In terms of our developing human consciousness, interspirituality is the movement of all these discussions toward the experience of profound interconnectedness, unity, consciousness, and oneness. A more heartfelt and experiential definition focus on the 
deepest implications of these phrases, rolling them into a statement such as, a spirituality so based on the heart and unconditional love that it would be impossible to feel separate from anything. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.